kind of do an overview of James, but how many of you know at least one person who's not very mature? How many of you know at least two people that are not all that mature? Now, I don't want anyone pointing fingers at anyone sitting next to you, but I came across a few sayings about immaturity, and so I'm going to share these with you. Youth wastes away, but immaturity can last a lifetime. Some people are like trees. They take forever to grow up. You're only young once, but you can be immature forever. Now, those are words, and and they make pretty good statements about it, but sometimes we need to have more of a picture to visualize. And so I'd like to share about four pictures with you, just kind of concepts of, there's one right there. And uh, how many of you know someone that looks like that? Let's put up the next picture. There we go. That, that gives a little better idea. And then uh, for those of you who are Winnie the Pooh fans, someone told me I'm immature and need to grow up. So guess who is not allowed in my treehouse now? Smarty Pants. And then the next one is kind of the latest issue on immaturity. Uh, I mean, he took it to a whole new level. Uh, an international incident just by being immature. In fact, one of the major causes of problems in our society today is immaturity. I've counseled literally hundreds of couples over the years concerning their marriage. And the number one marriage problem is that people just need to grow up. They're acting immature. You see, we get ourselves into all kind of trouble by saying immature things, by making immature decisions, and by acting in immature ways. In other words, we just need to grow up. In fact, God's will for everyone here, I don't care who you are, what direction you're headed in, what your age may be, God's will for every one of you is that you grow up. That you become mature. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, 1, verse 1, God says, let us go on to maturity. That's why one of the purposes for this church is that we're here to help you grow, to mature, to mature spiritually, emotionally, mentally, in every way, to become like Christ. That's the goal of the church here. So what is maturity and how do you know when you've reached a certain level of maturity? Well, first of all, I want to talk about what maturity is not. What it is not. Maturity, first of all, is not age. It's not age. It has nothing to do with how long you've lived or even how long you've been a Christian. You can be a Christian for 50 years and still not be mature. I saw a bumper sticker a while back and it said, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. And I met a lot of people like that. I've seen some 50 and 60 year old kids. Maturity has nothing to do with your age. Granted, God's ideal is that as we grow older, we will become more mature, but that's not always the case. Maturity also is not appearance. It's not appearance. In fact, some people just look mature. Some people just look more spiritual than the rest of us. They look dignified. They they just look holy. For the rest of us, it's just tough luck. The fact is, you can be, uh, you can look really spiritual 
uh, spiritual and not be spiritual whatsoever. It has nothing to do with your appearance. And maturity has nothing to do with your achievements. In fact, you can accomplish a lot in life and still be very immature. You don't have to be mature to make millions, and I'm not going to go there. But, friends, (laughs) you can be loaded with money and still be immature. Maturity has nothing to do with academics either. How many degrees or how much education you may have. You can have so many degrees that they call you Dr. Fahrenheit, but that doesn't make you mature at all. On the other hand, maturity is attitude. It has to do with your character. It has to do with your attitude. Attitude is what makes all the difference in the world. In fact, Dwight L. Moody, a great evangelist from a former generation, said, Character is what you are in the dark. Character is what you are when no one else is around to see what you're doing. Recognition is what people say about you. Character is what God says about you. And God says it's your attitude that determines whether or not you're mature. God wants every one of us to grow up and become Christ-like in our attitudes. So how do you measure spiritual maturity? Well, not by comparing yourself with other people, but by comparing yourself with the Word of God. And the book of James could literally be called a manual on maturity, a textbook on how to grow up. The word mature in Greek can be translated mature, complete, or perfect. And James uses the word five times in five chapters. James, the book of James, is a guide on maturity. And so this morning, as we begin a short series through the book of James, I want us to kind of take an overview. I want us to just fly along and look at the chapters and see what it has to say about maturity. In fact, I want us to look at five marks of maturity. But then, I'm going to give you a little test. I want, to, I want you to see how you measure up. First of all, a mature person is positive under pressure. A mature person is positive under pressure. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, my question to you today is, how do you handle trials? The first test of maturity is how you react to problems. So, let me ask you, how many of you have had at least one problem in your life in the last year? How many have had two? How many have had none? Okay, I was going to say those who raise their hand could give one of yours to someone who didn't, but uh, we won't go there. You see... How do you handle problems when they come into your life? Do do they just blow you away? Do you get uptight and negative? Do you grumble and complain and, and gripe? How do you handle problems? Christianity, and I'm going to make kind of a strange statement here. Christianity is life. Christianity is life. It's not just a religion. It's a life. In fact, Jesus said, I came... Or I come that you might have life. 
Christianity is life. And life means problems. And part of life means solving problems. It means facing those problems with the right kind of attitude so that you'll come out on top and not be beat up. So what is your natural attitude? What is your natural bent when things don't go right in your life? Are you negative or are you positive? Are you basically a supportive person or are you a skeptical person? Is your life filled with gratitude or grumbling? Are you affirmative or are you angry most of the time? James says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, you can have incredibly great knowledge of the Bible and still be as cantankerous as all get out. So are you positive under pressure? Secondly, a mature person is sensitive to people. And this is so important, and this needs to happen in the church as well. A mature person is sensitive to the people around him. If chapter 2, verse 8, James says, If you really keep the royal law that's found in Scripture, and what is that royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Then you are doing right. A mature person is sensitive to the people around him. He doesn't just see his own needs. He sees other people's needs as well. He understands their hurts. He relates to them. He literally feels their hurts with them. He's not just interested in himself. In fact, immaturity says, I want this, I want that, and I really don't care about anyone else. And God says that showing love, and here's how you do it, by being interested in others, that's a mark of maturity. I love James. He, he kind of shoots from the hip, so to speak. He, he gets very specific. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, he basi- basically says, don't show favoritism. Don't be a snob. Don't look down on other people. Don't judge by appearance. Don't insult people. Don't exploit people. You know, I, I thought about that. Wouldn't that be a great list for most churches to have for its members to read before they come into church? Don't show favoritism. Treat everyone just the same. Don't be a snob and look down at people. Don't look, um, don't judge by appearance. Don't judge by how someone looks. Don't insult people. Don't exploit them. The second test of maturity, love, demonstrated by how you treat and are sensitive to people. We all know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter. And Paul basically there said, I may win all kinds of people to the Lord, and I may build great church buildings, and I may even have a television program. I may give money to the poor, but, but if I don't have love, then I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It just doesn't amount to much. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus says, At the judgment, they're going to stand before me. And they'll say, or I'll say, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you came to prison to visit me. We'll say, well, Lord, when did we do that? When were you sick and we visited you? And 
when were you in prison and we came to visit you there? And when were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? And Jesus said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. I think it's interesting that here in this Matthew 25 judgment, the one thing that we're going to be judged for is how we treat other people. Not how many Bible verses did we memorize. Not how many times we were in church and Sunday school. Not how great a a reputation we had as a Christian leader, but how we treated other people. Thirdly, a mature person has mastered his or her mouth. A mature person has mastered his mouth. In chapter 3, verse 2, James says, We all stumble in many ways. What an understatement that is. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect or a mature man, able to keep his whole body in check. And the first thing that a doctor will say when you come in for a checkup is, stick out your tongue. And he does that. He uses your tongue to check your health. And God does that with us spiritually as well. Back in World War II days, there was a, a saying that went, loose lips sink ships. The truth is, loose lips destroy lives. They hurt. By the way, he or she who gossips to you will gossip about you. Anyone who gossips to you, somewhere along the line, they will gossip about you. Self-control comes from tongue control. We get ourselves into so much trouble by what we say. James 3 gives a number of illustrations. He says that our tongue is like a, a ship's rudder. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like a spark of fire. It's like a snake. It's like a spring of water. He says that you can put just a a little bit in a horse's mouth and literally direct that strong horse with that little bit. A small rudder on a large boat can direct the direction or change the direction of a boat. Your tongue, which by size is very insignificant, controls your life. What you say directs your life. And what you say can literally destroy your life And other people's lives as well. It can delight people's lives and it can discourage people's lives. Your tongue is a powerful force for either good or evil. Have you ever heard anyone say, I just say what's on my mind as if they're proud of it. I mean, being frank up front, they say that's the way I am. That's what's on my mind. Well, maybe there's not much to be on their mind. Maybe what's on their mind shouldn't be said. The Bible says that that's not frankness, that's immaturity. A lot of people just need a large dose of tactfulness. Someone put it like this. If you don't hear it with your own ears and see it with your own eyes, don't invent it with your small mind and share it with your big mouth. Let me say that again, because it's really true. If you didn't hear it with your own ears, and you didn't see it with your own eyes, don't invent it with your small mind and share it with your big mouth. Ephesians 4:29 says, Do not let any, none, none whatsoever, any negative talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. 
And I want you to think about that little word, any. You know, we need to watch what we say. We need to, when we talk, don't just say things to build yourself up. Say things to build other people up. If it doesn't build someone up, don't say it, even if it's the truth. A mature person manages his mouth. You see, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you can't master your mouth, then you've missed the point. James 1 verse 26 says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In other words, if I've memorized 100,000 Bible verses and I've been through every Bible study in the book, And I go to church and I never miss a service, but I'm a gossip. My religion is worthless. If I spread rumors, it's worthless. If I'm always saying things that are not accurate, or I exaggerate, or I speak impulsively, then my religion is worthless. The test of maturity is to manage your mouth so that no corrupt communication, no negative talk comes out of your mouth. Speak the truth in love. It means speak with the right attitude, the right timing, at the right place, with the right motive. The Bible is so practical, friends. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. If your attitude isn't like Christ, then you're missing the point completely. And then a mature person is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And James is talking about conflict. He says that a lot of our quarreling and our fights and arguments with others come from inside of us. Our own inner desires and our own inner conflicts. The mark of a mature person is that he or she has a lack of conflict In his own life. In fact, Paul told the church at Corinth, which church had tremendous amount of gifts and abilities there. He said, you guys are a bunch of babies. They argued about everything. They argued about the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, leadership, anything and everything they would argue about. And that's a mark of immaturity. Why is there so much conflict in our world today? In fact, why is there conflict in my marriage? Why is there conflict where I work? Why is there conflict between my former friend and me? Why is there conflict between another Christian and myself? Why is there conflict between God and me? You know, why is there this conflict? So much of it. James says there are two reasons. There are two sources for all conflict. In chapter 4, verse 3 says, When you ask, you don't receive. But you ask with the wrong motives, why? That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. And the first aspect or first cause of conflict is selfishness. How do you know if a person is immature? Look and listen to their prayers. I mean, think about that. How do they pray? If their prayers are always self-centered, bless me. Prosper me. Protect me. Just do it through me. Help me. 
Now, we all pray those kind of things, and it's important to pray that. That's part of the process. But if that's the only kind of prayer that we pray, friends, then we have a vision problem. It's an eye problem. Bless me. I'm nearsighted. All I can see is myself, and I'm becoming selfish. In fact, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, Only by pride comes contention. Actually, pride and selfishness go hand in hand. Conflict is simply my ego and pride taking over. You know, when my wife and I have a conflict, usually it's because I'm proud and I don't want to admit it. Or she's proud and she doesn't want to admit it. Or we're both proud and neither of us wants to admit it. You know, uh, pride guarantees conflict at work, at school, at church. It doesn't matter where you are. And selfishness, we simply want things for ourselves. And then James goes on to say in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, only one who is able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? The other source of conflict is judgmentalism, judging other people. You know, to be honest, all of us um, are judgmental at times. I mean, we all are. But God tells us, don't judge others. Why? Why shouldn't I judge? Well, let me give you three reasons. Number one, you and I are not God. When you judge someone... You're playing God. And there's only one judge, only one lawgiver, and his name is God. Secondly, only God has all the facts. You and I don't have all the facts. When I judge, I do it without having all the facts. And thirdly, I don't know what another person's motives are. And you don't either. You can't tell what's in someone's heart. Only God knows what's in other people's hearts. So only God has the right to judge. He has all the facts. He knows everything. He knows all the motives in a person's life. He sees down in the deepest, darkest part of our hearts. He's got the whole truth so he can judge in a proper way. You see, we are limited in our insight. We don't have any right to judge. By the way, he's God and you aren't. In fact, say it with me. Say, he's God and I'm not. Just say that with me. He's God and I'm not. Now turn to someone and say, he's God and you sure aren't. Just tell them that right now. You know, and it's absolutely true. And we need to remember that. And, And God says selfishness and judgmentalism. It caused conflict. So the fourth area, mark of immaturity in a person's life, is whether or maturity, is whether they're judgmental, a peacemaker, or a troublemaker. Lastly, a mature person is patient and prayerful. A mature Christian is prayerful and patient. James says in chapter 5, verses 7 and 11, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. As you know, we considered blessed are those who persevere. And then he jumps down to verse 16 and says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 
and circle the word patient and prayer. God says that the marks of a, of a mature person is that they're prayerful and they're patient. Those are two key words in this chapter. In fact, patience is used four times. And prayer is used seven times. The mark of a mature person is that they're patient and they're prayerful. They go hand in hand together. In fact, they express an attitude of dependence upon God. And then in chapter 5, verse 7, James says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop? How patient is he for the fall and spring rain? You too, just like the farmer, be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. And James is simply saying, be patient. Wait. And he gives the illustration of a farmer. And if anyone has patience, it's a farmer. It's basically part of his job description. You see, he plants, and then he waters, and he waits, and he prays, and and he hopes, and he expects. There are no overnight crops. It just doesn't happen. And just like a farmer has to wait, sometimes we have to wait. We have to learn to wait upon God to answer our prayers. We have to wait on God for that miracle that we're praying for. We have to wait on God to to work in our lives and, and do what we're asking Him to do. And we need to learn to wait. Patience is a mark of maturity. Here's a hard truth. Here's a hard principle to, to swallow. The only way you learn patience is by waiting. There's no other way. In fact, I, when my kids were small, they had to learn the difference between no and not yet. The difference between no and not yet. For a long time, they thought not yet meant no, that it wasn't going to happen. They, uh, but the truth is, not yet simply means not yet. Many times God will say to you, not yet, but he doesn't mean no at all. He doesn't mean that he's not going to answer your prayer. It's just that he's saying, you need to wait. I want you to do some growing. I want you to mature. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 16, James says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like you and me. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced a crop. If anyone was patient... It was Elijah. He was patient and he was prayerful. He learned the lesson of waiting. And so here's a checklist that I I, I want to take you through real quickly and see where you are in this area of maturity. How do you handle problems when they come up in your life? Do you get uptight, negative, grumble, gripe, complain? Are you hard to be around when, when problems come into your life? Or are you positive, even under pressure? Are you sensitive to other people? Are you concerned about their needs, their desires, their cares, their hurts? Or do you only see yourself? Do you only pray for yourself? Or do you pray for others? I think this is a big area in the church. What if we, when we got together, basically 
thought about other people. Um, I've been in situations where even when I was the guest speaker, I came in and there were board members there. There were church members. And they just walked by me like they didn't even know I existed. And, and I thought, man, would I, would I want to come to this church? You know, when we come together, we need to think about what's going on in other people's lives. Over the years, I, I've learned that as nice as people look sitting out in the congregation, everyone's smiling, everyone's feeling good, clean, you, you're in your latest, newest clothes, and you look great, but no one has any idea what's going on in your mind. And later I learned this person just found out they had cancer. And if I would have talked to them that day, I would have found out. I, I, I want to encourage you, be sensitive to others. In fact, when you come into the church, why don't you try this? Take three minutes and look for five people that you don't really know that well and just go and talk to them. Welcome them to the service. Your friends, if they're your friends, will still be there for you. But here's an opportunity to meet others. You know, in the early church, it said they will know that you are believers by your love. Not by how many Bible verses you can quote. Not by how much theology that you have. But by your love for one another. I'm convinced that if a church really loved and really cared for people, you would have to continue to build new buildings and expand your ministry. It's that simple. Thirdly, can you manage your mouth? Have you learned to put a muzzle on it sometimes and, and just not speak? You know, when you have that juicy tidbit of gossip, and, and, and we realize that... Uh, Knowledge is power. And so we pull someone aside and, and we know something about someone else and we try to figure out how can I share it. So we, we say, well, you know, I want you to pray about this. Brother so-and-so, Bob so-and-so, he has this going on in his life. And all we were trying to do was share something that we shouldn't have shared with someone. We need to learn to be careful uh, how, how we use our mouth. You can hurt people through innuendos. In fact, I've been around enough to realize that more churches have been hurt and damaged by gossip than by bad theology. Just by what people say, and a church has been torn down. We've all heard that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Listen, friends, you can get your bones put back together, but how many of you can think back when you were younger and someone said something about you and you still remember it? Anyone here? I can think of things that were said about me when I was just in elementary school and I can't even add up how many years ago that was. And I still remember them. I've gotten over them, but they hurt you know, we just need to understand that. Are you a troublemaker or are you a peacemaker? Do you have a tendency to stir up the pot? 
Do you have a hair-trigger temper when someone ticks you off? Do you carry a grudge? Do you find yourself nursing a bitterness? Or are you a peacemaker? Do you look for ways to pull people together rather than to spread them apart? And how long can you wait for an answer to prayer without giving up and walking away? Maybe God has every intention of giving you the desire of your heart, but he's simply saying, not yet. Wait. I want to teach you maturity. So how do you rate? You know, I totally realize this has not been an easy message to, to receive. It's not been an easy message to preach, but, you know, it's a, it's a message that the church needs to have. I want you to just bow your heads right now. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James, that it's such a practical manual on how to live the Christian life. Thank you that it doesn't just deal with theory, but it deals with areas that we all need to work on. Our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our relationships. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that you would help us to mature, to grow up, to be more like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.